invite you to open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. It's not really a better text um, that I'd rather preach on this morning, as um, here we have just the wonderful core truths of the gospel. It's uh, it's always been my uh, prayer that God would help us to be a church formed by the gospel, not formed by our uh, common shared interests or, or even by our shared uh, love of good Reformed theology, um, but um, people formed by the gospel, God's love to us in Jesus Christ and uh, all that that means to us. And so we're going to begin, we're going to read verses 21 through 25. Romans chapter 3, let's give our attention to God's Word this morning. Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 24 specifically this morning. Let's ask the Lord to bless Father, thank you for this this incredible good news, and I pray, Father, that your Spirit would teach it to us afresh, uh, that, Lord, we would experience your presence and goodness and love for us in Jesus, and, Lord, that uh, this truth would transform our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, Romans 3.21 is a verse that if you uh, do a little uh, study through church history, you'll find that this, these, are, um, these verses have been used wonderfully by God to spawn reformations and revivals as uh, people came to understand uh, in truth and fullness the wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The, um, Paul says in Romans 1.16 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And here in uh, these verses, Paul lays out the gospel in its most basic, very essential form. Uh, some have called these verses the most important verses in all of Scripture. Uh, Leon Morris goes a step further than that. Uh, Morris says that these are poss- this is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written, period. Uh, I love that thought. Uh, if you think about the billions of things, uh, pages and paragraphs that have been written in the history of mankind, and, and Morris says, what we have here this morning is the single most important paragraph that's ever been written in the history of humanity. Why would that be the case? Uh, because here we have the, the essence of the gospel, God's message of good news of salvation for sinners in Jesus Christ. Uh, The beauty of this text is highlighted by what has preceded it. If you remember, Paul has been laboring since chapter 1, verse 18, 
to prove the hopeless condition of mankind under sin, that there is no one righteous before God, not Jew, not Gentile, not a single person is good. All have turned away. No one does good, no one seeks for God, and thus everyone, every single person who's ever lived except for Jesus, stands justly condemned before the Holy law of God. Paul, as you, as you remember, closed out this section that uh, by the law, no one is going to be justified. No one is going to be declared righteous because of how good they were. The law actually serves to shut everybody up. All excuses, all blame shifting, all justification, self-justification that we would try, the law just shuts it all up and everyone is held accountable before God and to God. And so that's where we end at 3 verse 20. As sinners under the judgment of God, no excuses, no defense, and no hope. But, one of the greatest words in the Bible, though we are left with nothing to say, God now speaks up, and God has something essential to say. The most amazing message that our guilty and condemned soul could ever hope, ever hope to hear. God has a wonderful message for sinners, for this lost and ruined race. God wants to communicate to us and to this world that He has provided a Savior for sinners in Jesus Christ. He's made a way for the guilty to be declared righteous in His presence. Not through the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by human effort, but as a free gift of grace. I hope that sounds like good news to you. It's good news to me. I am a sinner, not in theory, but in truth, and so are you. We're not sinners in general. We're not sort of sinners in a hypothetical sense. We do and say and think things that are offensive to God, that violate His holy law, and that render us guilty. And then there's the, 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 the multitude, multiplied thousands of things that we fail to do that we ought to have done, such as love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we stand, you and I together, and every other person that you'll ever meet, we stand justly condemned before God's law. And there's no excuses. It doesn't matter how good we've tried to be. It doesn't matter how devout we are in our religion. The law comes to silence us and to condemn us. And nothing that we've ever done or ever will do is able to cure our problem. By the works of the law, no human will be justified in God's sight. We are guilty, we can't fix it, we cannot make it right. That's what Paul's been pounding home ever since chapter 1, verse 18. And we need to be perfectly clear that God would have been absolutely just to end the book at 3, verse 20. Right? God doesn't owe us Romans 3, 21. He doesn't owe us a but now. 
He could have left us with 320. Our, our mouths shut up, our soul condemned, nothing but the eternal abyss of divine damnation stretching before us. There's no necessary reason for there to be a but now. But praise God there is. Right? There's grace for sinners in Jesus Christ. We're going to move through these verses slowly because there's so much a wonderful gospel truth contained here. And these truths, these verses, have the power to fill your life with joy and peace regardless of circumstances. They have the power to free us from fear regardless of our trial. The power to carry us safely to the shores of our eternal home no matter how weak we might feel. This is the power of God. The power of God at work today in the world, in the church, in your life. The things we're going to focus on this morning, first of all, a new epoch. We just want to stop and think about the words, but now. Because we could easily just skip over it. And we'd miss something wonderful. But, of course, is an adversative conjunction. It, it says that something new is being introduced. A condemnation is not the last word. There is something that God has set uh, as opposed to condemnation. Something wonderfully new. I, I want you to imagine going to your doctor, and he explains to you that he has discovered a deadly form of cancer in your body. In fact, he tells you that 100% of the patients with this particular cancer die within six months. He explains to you why the cancer is so deadly. He outlines why every form of treatment to date has failed. And you sit there and you realize with a clarity you'd never have before that you are about to die. And every plan you had about your retirement or about your vacation or, 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 or marriage, whatever you had in mind about your family and children and grandkids, it's all come to a screeching halt. You're going to die within six months. There's no hope for you. None. And you barely hear the doctor's voice anymore as the devastating reality of your imminent death presses down on you. But then he says something that breaks through the fog. He says the word, however. And you are immediately paying attention. Your whole being leaps at that word, however. You see, however means that there's, there's more to the story. Though the, though the diagnosis is incredibly grim, there's a however. However. And everything within you would be crying out, tell me about the however. And he does. And he says there's, there actually is a brand new treatment that he believes has tremendous potential and he would like you to try it. Well, that changes everything. What would you want at that moment? I, I think what you'd want at that moment is you'd want to learn about this new treatment. You'd want, to, you'd want to know everything you can know about it. This is, this is your, your one and only hope. And that's exactly how we should feel about these words, but now. Paul has made it clear. We are condemned. Not some hypothetical people out there someplace. 
When he's talking about the law condemning, he's talking about the law condemning you. You. As you stand all by yourself, not with your friends, not with your family, not with your spouse, not with your kids, you stand alone before the righteous judgment of God. That's what he's talking about. And Paul wants us to hear these words, but now, as this glorious ray of light piercing through the dark abyss of our despair, as we realize that we stand justly condemned, this but now is so, is so incredibly undeserved and, and unexpected, and it's so full of hope for you, the sinner. I remember uh, talking with my brother Randy in the early days following his diagnosis, and he talked about in just an incredibly, incredibly dark night. He'd been diagnosed with stage four gastric cancer. And by the way, just thanks for those, those of you who've been praying. Randy, his last scan came back uh, clear. The doctor said there's no evidence of the disease. And so Randy and Trish are just thanking the Lord for his goodness to them. But early on, he told me of a night when the devil seemed to be literally in his room. And there was an abyss of darkness and evil all around him, and the message was just pounded home. There was no hope, no hope, no hope, no hope. Death was coming, and, and the just judgment of God was coming, and there was no hope for healing, no hope for forgiveness, no hope for grace. That's an awful place to be, and it's where people are going to be without this but now. Every one of us. And maybe you're in a place of hopelessness this morning. Maybe you look at your life and it's a mess. You look at your sins and there are so many. You look for signs of God's favor and you, all you feel is guilt and loss. Well, friends, God has a word for you. There is a but now. There's a however. God in Christ has inaugurated a new reality in the world of sinful men. A new moment. A new epoch. Defined not by the reality of our sin and failure, but by the reality of God's righteousness and Christ's accomplishment. A reality that is not defined by the condemnation of the law for all who sinned, but it's defined by justification by grace for all who believe. That's the but now. That's the glorious new hope that God has brought into the world through Jesus. And there's a new revelation in this new moment. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's a wonderful contrast with what Paul had said in chapter 1, verse 18. If you remember there, Paul had said, uh, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men. The wrath of God was being revealed. And so you have 1 verse 18, the wrath of God, and, and that was true and just and deserved, but now there's something new. The righteousness of God has been manifested, has been revealed and made known. God has, has justly and is justly condemning the world, and yet God so loved the world, He's also saved the world in Jesus Christ. His righteousness is being revealed. 
So what, is, what does that mean? What is the righteousness of God? And, and books and, and papers have been written about this, but in the simplest terms, the righteousness of God uh, as an attribute means that God always and only does what is perfectly right. He always and only acts in ways that are in perfect keeping with His own glory and His own holiness. And we should delight in God in this. He never stumbles, never errs, never turns in the least bit away from what is perfectly true, perfectly honor, uh, honoring to His name, glorifying to His name. God is righteous. Psalm 97 verse 2 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. It's how He rules. It's who He is. But in, that is initially not good news for us. You see, because it means that God must and always will punish sin and to its full extent, its fullest extent, to, to fail to punish sin to the fullest extent would be a, an error. It would be... It would be fundamentally wrong, a miscarriage of divine justice, and it's not going to happen. God is perfectly just. God cannot and will not do wrong. You see, this reality, the, uh, the righteousness of God, is, it, it's what tormented Martin Luther. Because he saw the righteousness of God as an insurmountable obstacle to his own salvation. If God must punish sin to its fullest extent, which he must, and if Luther is guilty of sin, which he was, well then there's no escaping the conclusion that God must punish Luther. Right? It's it's logic in its most basic and irrefutable form. If God is righteous and must punish sin, and if Luther is guilty of sin, Luther must be punished by virtue of the reality of the righteousness of God. Luther was not wrong in that, right? His dilemma is exactly right. It's real. How can God do righteously, be faithful to His righteousness, and forgive the sinner. How could he ever do that? You see, people blithely think it's a small thing for God to forgive sin. It, it's, a, it's, it's just kind of what he does. But you see, if, if, if you think it's a simple thing for God to forgive sin, it just means that you, you have not grasped the true sinfulness of sin or the impeccable consuming fire holiness and righteousness of God. Those two realities, the sinfulness of our sin and the reality of God's righteousness are monumental obstacles to our salvation. Everything in the reality of our sin and everything in the reality of God's holiness demands that we be condemned, cast into hell. That's what Luther saw, and he was rightly terrified. 
One of the great things that plagues evangelical Christianity today is a cheap understanding of sin, a shallow understanding of God, and so that you get a a very sentimentalized, brittle, trite, little understanding of the gospel. These are monumental things. So how can Paul talk about the righteousness of God in all the infinite glory of what that means as though it were good news to you and me, sinners, in all the infinite horror of what that means? And the answer is because the gospel reveals that righteousness is not simply an attribute that belongs to God in His glory. It is a gift that God gives to sinners in His grace. It's a gift God gives to sinners through Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God has been manifested. And when Paul, he, that's a, that's a, the verb tense means it's, a, it's happened in the past and, and it stands there, has been manifested. And Paul is thinking about Jesus Christ and it's been manifested in the cross of Jesus Christ and the triumph of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God has been manifested in Jesus through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ for all who believe. You see, the glory of the gospel is that God has found a way to be faithful to his own impeccable righteousness and to be just as he justifies sinners. In every normal context, it's wrong to justify sinners, right? We, we are outraged when judges um, pardon convicted criminals and and just let them go freer when they just say, um, you know, when you have all the evidence that proves a man is thoroughly guilty of a horrific crime and the judge says, "Uh, you just had a bad day, I'm going to just let you go free, right? Our society is outraged more now than ever. We want justice. So so we're not going to put up with light sentences. Well, God is not going to put up a light sentences either. God's going to demand justice. And the beauty of the gospel is that God has found a way to be perfectly just and at the same time let the criminal go free. Not just free, but blessed. Made a son of God and an heir of everlasting life. How? Through Jesus Christ. In Christ, God is both just and the justifier of the ungodly. Romans 4 verse 5. And when Luther finally came to understand that that righteousness that is, is a gift of God freely given to us and on that basis God can justify us, then all the chains of guilt and fear and despair fell off. There's a new principle that's been introduced in the gospel. Or, or Paul says it first negative, negatively and then positively. Notice he says negatively, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law though the law and the prophets testify to it. Remember, he's just slammed the door on any hopes of getting uh, God's favor by law-keeping. The law is just, as we said last time, the law is not your friend. The law is telling on you all the time. And every hope you have of, of being saved or finding favor with God through your, your efforts, Paul just wants to just close the door on it. If sinners are going to be saved, if sinners are going to... Um, receive all the blessings of God or any blessings from God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be a different way. It has to be apart from the law. The law cannot help us. Paul says this new way, this different way is apart from the law, but the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And so Paul is saying that uh, this, this, 
This new epoch, this, this, this but now, has been testified to in the Old Testament. It's been testified to in the law. There in the law you have all the regulations and the sacrifices, right? All saying that atonement is possible through sacrifice. All pointing to the gospel. If, you, if you've read your Old Testament recently, you just see the gospel being forecast and foreshadowed, foretold over and over and over again. It's all there. As it points to the need for a Savior, for Jesus, the perfect sacrifice of God. And the prophets, of course, spoke of this this Messiah who would come and redeem God's people. Think about Isaiah 53. Speaking of Christ, 700 years before He was born, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace and With his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. That's Romans 3, 20. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel. Foretold by the prophets. All foreshadowed. But now it's been manifested in its full glory in the person of Jesus Christ. As Paul says it in verse 22, positively, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room. Every single person in the world. There's no distinction. But there's another wonderful all who are by by faith in Jesus, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Every single person you see here who, who, who belongs to Christ by faith has been justified in the exact same way, by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that's the truth that set Luther free. He said when he, when he realized this, that, that, that righteousness was a gift and And um, justification was a gift that God gives through Jesus. It's like heaven was opened. And all the fears and and guilt and shame fell away. We're going to take a time over the next weeks, Lord willing, to unpack these truths. Because Paul's going to camp here for a bit. The end of rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4, chapter 4, he's going to just pound home. Gift, 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 gift. Why would you do that? Because people are so inherently just by nature committed to earn, 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 earn. I got to work. I got to try. I got to strive. And, 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 uh, and God then is going to respond to me. And if I fail, then I'm going I'm to suffer. But if I do well, I'm going to be blessed. Earn, earn, earn. Paul's just going to knock the legs out from under that. And so we're going to take our time just cherishing those truths together. But Let me just, as we wrap up, just point out the essential elements of the gospel that we have right here in front of us. One, salvation is all of God. So he's been talking about all the failures of men, but now here in 321, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. God has stepped up. God is the God who saves. He's the actor. God is the one who justifies. Salvation is all of God. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. It is by His redemption that we are saved. By His atoning death as He pays for our sin. Having our sin laid on Him exactly as it says in Isaiah 53. Isn't that a wonderful thought? 
Your sin is an objective reality. My sin is an objective reality. All the things that we've said and thought and done and, and have failed to do, that, that's an objective truth that adheres to us. It's our sin. Our name is on it. What are you, what are you going to do with your sin, your objective guilt before the living God? What are you going to do with it? There's nothing that can be done except this one thing. You can give it in faith to Jesus and trust that this is why Jesus came to receive your guilt and atone for it by suffering the penalty of it and to robe you in His righteousness. This is why Jesus came, so that all your hope and all your righteousness and all your peace and all your joy, it's all in Jesus. It's all in Jesus. God made him, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Tom Schreiner points out, he says, this of course is the beauty of the gospel. God has not surrendered his just demands. In the Lord Jesus we have all that God's righteousness requires of us. He, the sinless one, standing in the place of sinners, offered himself in sacrifice and endured the righteous curse against our sin. Jesus paid it all. Is that good news? Jesus paid it all for your sin, for my sin. And salvation now then is a gift of grace, a gift. So Paul, as I said in Romans chapter 4, is going to tell us, stop working for it. Stop working. It's a gift to be received by faith. Faith is the open hand of a beggar just saying, Lord, I got nothing to bring but except my need. Just give me Jesus and his righteousness to be my own. That's, that is saving faith. Saving faith is not going to church. Saving faith is not believing the Bible is true. Saving faith is not understanding the, 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 the doctrines of the gospel. Saving faith is you taking your sin in hand and coming to Jesus Christ and asking Jesus, the one who died on the cross, to bear your sin and give you his righteousness by his grace. And Jesus says, whoever calls on me will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, this is the gospel for sinners. It's for sinners. Right in the middle of Paul's gospel pronouncement, he has this, this phrase, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It, it's sort of like, you know, the, the whack-a-mole. If anyone wants to stick their head up at this point and say, well, actually, I... You know, I, I've done a few things. Wham! There's no distinction. None. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That ought to humble us. That ought to make us quiet. Make us full of mercy and peace. Because God has found a way to save sinners. 
Paul would say, of whom I am chief. And that's what makes the gospel so precious. God has found a way to save Dale Van Dyke. And God has found a way to say, to save, put your name there. To actually, truly, eternally save you. Not just to make you part of Christendom, person who's nice and moral and goes to church, but to rescue you from everlasting hell, to make you an eternal child of God, an heir of everlasting life in Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel does, and that gospel has the power to transform your life. That gospel has the power to break through the stubborn habits of your sin. That, go- that, that gospel has the power to free you, not just from the penalty of sin, but the pollution of sin, and, and one day from the presence of sin. That's what the gospel does. And that gospel then has the freedom, it's able to free you from from your fear of of anything, even fear of death. You don't need to be afraid. If God is for you, who or what can be against you? And death is, is a conquered foe. It has the power to fill your life with peace in times of trial because if God loved you this much to send his own son, Jesus Christ, to die bearing your sin, well then he loves you infinitely. This is a a gospel that's able to give you hope in the midst of suffering. It's a gospel that gives you endurance as you bear wrong. It's a gospel that teaches you to love even your enemies. It's a gospel that gives you the power to count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that these trials develop faith and endurance and hope. Those are precious things. Friends, God's vision for his church, for his people, is that we're formed by the gospel, this gospel, of a, of a loving Heavenly Father who, who knew us before the foundation of the world and loved us and gave us to Christ. Think about how incredibly blessed we are, how incredibly rich we are. And this gospel then, God calls us to believe, to receive this Jesus day by day in deeper measure to receive this Jesus, and then to live in this love, in this gospel, and experience this power. May God grant it. Amen. O God, our Father in heaven, who, like, who is more blessed, Lord, than we are? Who, like, like me, his praise should sing? Thank you, O Father, for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave his life for us that all of our sin could be forgiven, every last remnant of it, all of our guilt be washed away so there's nothing left. All of our shame buried in the shame of Christ and buried in the tomb of Christ. And so we're set free to live as new people. People who've been loved and forgiven. People who've been adopted. People who've been justified. People who are being sanctified. People who have the confidence that one day, very, very soon, we shall be glorified. Oh God, I pray that this gospel would would transform our lives and, and our homes, our marriages, our relationships, and our church. That this would be a place, oh God, where sinners feel free to come. And sinners, Lord, from from every background of life would be able to see the love of Jesus Christ shining in the faces of people who've believed and received this gospel. Now we would have the joy, O God, of 
of seeing you use us in all of our weakness to glorify your name, to further your gospel as you build up your church. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.